How do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Welcome to this episode of the 2020s Enterprise. Uh, my name is Sam Holzman, and the uh, episode today, the episode today is called "In Search of a Search Engine." Maybe a little bit of a, a tongue twister there, a little bit, but it's talking really about today's reality um, in search. And the objective of this episode, as it is on most of our 2020 Enterprise episodes is to bring some method to some of the madness that we see on the internet. And this episode examines what search engines actually are and possibilities of what will come next in the future on search. This is not about knocking down search engines that are out there today, but rather determining if we can draw on history for some ideas. And yes, this particular episode was prompted by a Wall Street Journal article just recently uh, that was talking about Google, and I'll get to that in a little bit. I want to emphasize again, the episode is not about knocking down search engines, but it was prompted by some of the media uh, that we're hearing right now about these concepts of search. And uh, the issues are numerous in this article that we'll be discussing, but it's not just Google it's the concept of search, I believe, uh, is the issue. So is the issue about bias? Uh, is it about privacy, censorship, speed, speed versus accuracy, speed versus accuracy versus accountability? Is the issue money? <laughs> the short answer really is these and all of, all of these and more. So perhaps as we begin this episode, we should start thinking about the olden days before the Internet. Some of you hopefully were around as I was and thinking about a library, a library and the established discipline of library science, not art form, not popularity, but library science. And what makes a library work? Three things fundamentally. One is a classification system without regard to bias or search activities. And in the libraries, it was the Dewey Decimal System or the Library of Congress classification system. That was one of the fundamental things about a library. So if you searched for 3.1.4.9, an index in there, if you look up the Dewey Decimal System or Library Science, there's a specific set of things in there, knowledge or data, whatever you want to call it. And the classification system was neutral, was neutral. It wasn't based on how many people were looking at a specific area or how many books were in there, or media, DVDs, uh, whatever it was. It was neutral. It was a classification system. 
And to throw a little phrase on there, it was actually a incredible, and still is, an ontological classification system, one fact in one place. Second thing about a library was a consistent set of facts that you could search for from one day to the next. And one of the phrases that is often used is it's a long tail search, meaning that if you go to a library today and look for a fact, three months from now you go to the library, you'll see that same fact there. There may be more facts, but you'll still see that there. And the third item about making a library work may sound funny, the librarian. The librarian had a number of different functions that we will discuss a little bit later. That's there. So we're going to look at these three elements and compare and contrast what we see today in this concept of search. And perhaps the future state of search will become clear in doing this. And so what we're talking about here is the phrase search and perhaps searching is some ways different than fact finding in a library. Now those terms, of course, are still a little bit fuzzy, I think, to all of us or to you listening, and we'll try to clear that up. But just a moment here, I just want to discuss briefly, again, the impetus to this was an article that was published in the Wall Street Journal, uh, I think it was uh, early November, mid-November, and again, stressing continually This is not here to indict Google, but boy, it really re-energized my thought processes about what we're seeing now in search that I've been thinking about for almost two decades. So when it comes to Google, there's about 3.8 million uh, queries uh, every minute. Think about this for a moment. 3.8 million inquiries into Google. It's astounding in and of itself. And no matter what it's looking for, that's a huge number uh, of things that are out there. And arguably, that system, which is computer code, it's computer algorithms that end up in zeros and one, control much of the world's access now to, in quotes, information that's found on the internet. And, of course, billions and billions of dollars in commerce. I want to stop there for a moment. This is one of the things we have to recognize. Google is driving commerce through search. A physical library, in quotes now, doesn't care about money. It's about information. One fundamental difference we have to start looking at right away. What is the end objective? Providing information or driving commerce? Hmm, interesting. We see something, you know, very, very, very quickly here as as a fundamental difference. And we see this in a lot of uh, industries. It doesn't mean that they're evil. It means that the objectives could possibly be different. And, you know, about 20 years ago when Google founders began building this, this whole thing, The whole objective was this new form of information exchange, not physical libraries, of course, 
but the internet and the World Wide Web and how to human beings address getting that information. So the initial intent was providing people with useful information. I'm sure an intent was commerce, meaning money also, and perhaps these now are interplaying with each other in a way that's quite a bit different, and perhaps we have to look in the future at separating these things a bit. Searching for information versus searching for stuff that drives dollars. Just as a thought, as I said early on in our discussions together on this particular particular topic. And the evolving approach marks a shift at Google from its founding philosophy of organizing the world's information to one of, and this is the critique that you're hearing about Google, and by the way, all other search engines probably also, is to far more active in deciding how information should appear. And this is the thing we have to think about in a library. The Dewey Decimal System doesn't care. It is neutral. Now, people can say, well, of course, the the librarian or the person putting the information in there could have bias. Well, of course they can. Now we are thinking about the intent of a human being. Multiply that by 3.8 million searches a minute, and you can start looking at some of the complexities that you and I are dealing with. Okay. And so when it comes to computer systems, the concept of anonymity is always subjected to outside pressure. Why? Because people are writing computer code. And they're making the if-then determination. If this particular thing is put in, then give this back. And I don't care if you're calling it artificial intelligence, augmented reality, a fortnights and furlong, whatever it is. Some human being is writing an if-then-else type of statement of some kind, which influences what you and I see. This is fundamental to the concept of an algorithm an algorithm that's there. And so you have lots of interests involved here when it comes to this. You have governments. You have U.S. governments and foreign governments, which may not agree when you and I type in a certain search term what you and I can see. And uh, I'm not here to talk about politics and whether it's the Russians or the Chinese or the North Koreans or the Americans, or the English, or the French, or the Germans, or the Spaniards, whatever it is. Everyone here that we're talking about is really a tribe. (laughs) And within that tribe, there are leaders, and they, whether we like it or not, have influence over what we're seeing on the internet, because they're yelling at these search engines. And when I say yelling, sometimes billions of dollars in fines, and sometimes a threat of other things. And one of the threats that we're seeing now is what we refer to as the splinter net. In other words, I'm just going to forget about this whole thing. I'm going to put a wall around us, and therefore I don't have to worry about all this nonsense, um, you know, that's out there. And again, there is a huge, huge financial interest, of course, but there's also other interests on how information is disseminated. 
I want to keep stressing this. And we could be seeing here a difference between a library intent and a search engine intent. And we have to recognize that the algorithms um, that are going on there um, was really a groundbreaking way to organize and understand this mass amount of information that's out there. And yes, hugely, hugely lucrative. And we understand that. We, we have to understand that. Um, and the whole concept was that algorithms can make the web more useful on the assumption, once again, the assumption that computer code alone could do the heavy lifting to figure out what, what you and I see. And as we've seen over the years, there's more and more human influence going on because the algorithms are sometimes producing things that are very uncomfortable to us, very, very uncomfortable. Whether it's about vaccines, its efficacy or danger, uh, whether it's religious bias, political bias, racial bias, all of us, you see this stuff all day and it gets, frankly, kind of nauseating on how many things we tend to see right now. And some people may think there's evil intent there, some people not. The bottom line is there's a series of algorithms, computer code that somebody has written that determines what you and I see. And the other thing is bias for various reasons. Once again, a library, I believe, has less bias. But within some of the search engines, Engineers can opt to change things, the algorithmic developers, for various reasons. So, for example, uh, one of the things that has been talked about and hotly discussed is whether or not some of these search engines favor large organizations over small organizations. And the argument is, well, the big guys have more resources and therefore their stuff is, quote, truer or better. The little guy doesn't have the resources, you know, that are there. And so we have to recognize that when it comes to search, it's really a zero-sum game. When you search for something, you see something, and then other things you don't see. The things that you see, those folks, those that information, those sources are winners, and the stuff that you don't see the sites that you don't see are the losers. It's a zero-sum game. And let me be even more direct because, of course, I do use Google and Facebook and, and Instagram and Yahoo and Bing and DuckDuckGo and all these other search engines that are out there trying to figure out what's going on. And we all have to understand that same thing, that when it comes to search, and if you look at the underneath the search bar, it says 256 million entries. I don't think any of us go past the first page or possibly the second page in those results. And as sort of like a, a thought process here, how could I get to the 146,589,613 entry to see what's out there? So you see where we're at, we are right now in this concept of search. And the concept is search, S-E-A-R-C-H. And the way we do that is through a series of phrases, words, or concepts, which is very different than what we see in a library, which is we have a 
classification system that is the entry point to this information. And so we can see the differences, you know, as we as we go go through this. The concept of search, and maybe we should use a different term associated with searching for commerce information. I don't even know what to say it, how to say it right now, and searching for quote information information that does not lead to a certain economic outcome. And even that is kind of fuzzy, you know, when we look at it. So for example, once again, looking at the concepts of of vaccinations, positive and negatives. Well, what's the end product? Is it information or is it an influence to get a uh, uh, an injection or not? You can see again the the fuzziness, you know, as we see this. And it's evolving. You know that Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Yahoo, DuckDuckGo, they're not standing still. They're all evolving this area as there is support and frankly critique <laughs> as to what, what is going on. So what we see here is this growing change that's going on. Some of it positive, some of it negative, some of it transparent, some of it not transparent. And with that introduction, we're going to just take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion about this concept of search engine versus possibly a different way to look for information. You're listening to 2020's Enterprise. My name is Sam Holzman. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Based on over 30 years of real-world experience, the Business Architecture Center of Excellence four-day certification workshops in business architecture will guide you beyond theory and into actual implementation. If you are looking to develop a baseline for business agility through goal-aligned, prioritized capabilities, we will help you get there. You will leave our workshop with real tools, processes, techniques, and most importantly, true hands-on business architecture project practice. For dates, locations, and more, visit BACOE.org. Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, a methodology of business understanding, technology planning, and change by leading enterprise architect practitioner Sam Holzman brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. 
This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holtzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back. This is Sam Holtzman, 2020s Enterprise. Uh, Today's episode is talking about In Search of a Search Engine. And our first segment, we talked a little bit about Google specifically, but it also is beyond that. It's about search engines and the contrast that we see between a search engine and a library of the olden days. And fundamentally, it has to do with the focus and how you and I get information in those different areas. And the search engine concept is based on more of popularity than anything else. That may sound a criticism, but I think it's a positioning. And I hope that's the way it's taken. It is based on, one of the big things it's based on, is how many other sites are linking to that piece of information with the belief that the more people link to that site, the more accurate it is. Accuracy and then popularity (laughs) may not be the same thing. And this is one fundamental area where we are quite concerned about this concept. And of course, the big search engines are trying to address evildoers. They're trying to game the system and we applaud them for that. But instead of putting a period at the end of the sentence, I need to put a comma, however. However, popularity could be very, very different than accuracy, goodness of information. This is what we have to keep thinking about no matter what we see in algorithms. And if we want to call a search engine of today something a bit more accurate, again, not for derogatory term here, but maybe we should call it a popularity contest search engine. How popular the sites are. I don't think that's negative, but it's very different than a classification-based area that's there. And obviously you can tell from my first uh, uh, set of understandings and, and discussions, we think that that's what we're actually going to end up with um, as the area matures a little bit more. And Coming back to the founding of, of Google, especially, you know, the founders knew that ranking of web pages, in other words, the popularity of information that's given to you, uh, was a matter of opinion. Uh, we, we, everybody knows that. I hope people that are listening to this broadcast know this. 
because somebody is making those decisions that are out there based on popularity. So there's opinions. And that's one of the things, of course, that everyone's wrestling with. Um, you know, as I said, there's good people and bad people. And both of those types of people can use the Internet for whatever purposes they want. And these algorithms have been trying to weed all that stuff out. Uh, and yes, all these search engine companies have deployed armies of people now, tens of thousands of people, to try to look at this stuff and straighten it out. Isn't that interesting, by the way? These organizations recognize that the algorithms themselves aren't good enough. Wow. The question, of course, is for all of us, with all that stuff out there, how do you do it without a computer? That's a different question, ladies and gentlemen. It's a different question. That's what I want to emphasize here. Just because you can't do it doesn't mean I should keep uh, spreading information that is based on popularity. Perhaps we can look for something different, you know, that's out there. And so this has been going on a long time. And no matter which search engine you're looking at, the concept was around some kind of a ranking algorithm for the things that were being looked at. The question is, how do you measure the human interest in attention, accuracy, when you have things that you need to be objectively and done mechanically through computer systems? So these mathematical algorithms that we're talking about try to bring some relevancy to that. And we know that the search engine companies are trying with a lot of energy to figure out how to give you the, the most, the most uh, important and correct information that's out there. And so, but somebody's making a judgment. We have to recognize that. So this concept of search coupled with automation mechanization, coupled with the anonymity that goes on in the internet, unfortunately, coupled with the desire for revenue, whether we like that phrase or not, or money, whatever that's there, coupled to that with political intent and everything else that's out there uh, with all these other things, the real question, ladies and gentlemen, is should a private company make the decisions as to what you and I see? So you may say, well, no or yes. Let's say no for a moment. What sources are you going to use? If you go back to the, quote, manual sources. So as an example, some of you on in the media may believe that the source of all good and truth is CNN. Some of you out there may believe the source of all good and truth is Fox News. Okay? How did you come to that conclusion? Part of it, if we're really honest with ourselves, is what we feel reinforces our own ideas. And that's, again, the human bias that we see without algorithmic bias and things like that. So you can see all these forces running into each other that's out there. So how can we possibly start taking out some of the things that are negative, yet getting the benefits of the mechanization, the automation, um, you know, that's out there? 
And when it comes to search engine technologies, we have to realize that there's four sort of components, you know, that we see. And the first is some kind of an interface for you and I. You know, how do we access that information, um, you know, that's out there? You know, typing in words, um, and that's the first interface, or pictures or whatever it is, okay? And somehow those words are translated to stuff that comes back to us, and we, you know, we understand that. And then you have to have a way for these search companies to go out and look for stuff. How do they actually find these things that are out there in the gazillions and gazillions plus 10% of the websites that are out there? Um, man, that's, that's a tough one. And um, whether it's called a you know, device that crawls the internet, in other words, it goes out there and just keeps looking, or you know, people call them also spiders and bots. Well, there's all sorts of phrases but somehow the search engine companies have to find where stuff is, where new stuff is, because it's changing all the time that's out there. And then you have some kind of an indexing mechanism that sort of brings method to some of the madness, algorithmically, of what people believe. And I'm here to suggest to you, what is that? And that's one of the secrets, I think, that's out there. And I believe one of the ways that we should address this once again is through the Library of Congress indexing system or the Dewey Decimal System, a neutral, unbiased way to classify information from what I know and from what I've read. And it's open to everyone to see as to what it actually is. And finally, the last piece of this thing is storing this stuff somewhere. And some of these search engines do storage and some of them don't. In other words, they're really pointers. And a lot of these search engines are like a table of contents in a book, meaning that they're an index. So a table of contents is not content. A table of contents is a table of contents, and it points you to a certain area or certain um, index is what it is to information. And that information can be stored anywhere, and it could be old, new, borrowed, blue. (laughs) It could be fresh, it could be valid, it could be built by evil intents, it could be by, you know, learned sources. Basically, it's an index. And that's some of the things we have to recognize that's out there. Now, is this a new concept, ladies and gentlemen? The answer is no. The first search technology that we've been able to find uh, goes back to 1945. Jeez, I wonder what the computer system was that they were looking at at that time. And what people were trying to do is to find a different way to get at you know information to sort of build a body of knowledge that people could could understand. And this goes back to my apologies if I butchered the name. Uh, a person named Vannevar Bush. And the article was, As We May Think. Kind of an obscure title, frankly. But the whole proposal that he had was this limitless, boundaryless retrieval system. And he called it Memex, M-E-M-E-X. That was out there. Please remember when this was. 40s, the 1940s. Uh, Any of you had a web interface at that particular time? Well, of course not. Okay. And what he was talking about at that time 
was not a series of automatic search algorithms, but a library classification or hypertext type of environment. Fascinating to me. In other words, I'm not the only one that's thinking this way, <laughs> but it is different. So it's a classification system, and somebody would make an entry, all right, and an index would go out, and you'd have your own personal book, so to speak. You'd have your own classification system that you've taken out of the general one and said, here's how I want to get information about X, Y, Z. And this would go out and use those things um, you know, you know, that would be there. And so this whole thing started with this concept of classification using a bit of a scientific term with my apologies if, if this is confusing. I hope it's not. Uh, it's an ontology. And what we're talking about here is a way to organize information by types of information. Not parts of, but types of information. Here's all the information about um, automobiles. And here's all the information about automobile engines. And here's all the information about automobile doors, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's out there. It follows this concept of classifying things. And if you want to do some, just a little bit of reading, I would strongly suggest that you look at, mentioned before, the concepts from the Dewey Decimal System, which is a really good way to look at things. Now, on the heels of that, many, many, many years later, um, another search engine came up that was called SMART, S-M-A-R-T. And I'm chuckling because sometimes these authors have a, an interesting way of injecting themselves into thing. And uh, the person that developed this was Gerard Salton, and he called his system, his area, SMART. And what did the S stand for? It was actually his last name. Sultan's Magic Automatic Retriever of Text. I love the second word, magic. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? All right. Obviously, we're trying to not, not make light of this, but it is interesting that's out there. From that, we sort of leap into the 80s where people started thinking about string searches. In other words, bringing things together. And then on the heels of that, in the early 90s, the web, the web searching. And the first people that were looking at this, I think were a little bit of a comedian. And because the first web search engine was called Archie. And if some of you remember the, uh, the uh, comic books, You'll see what comes next, by the way. By the way, if any of you remember, and if reading those Archie comic books, remember a young lady named Veronica, and lo and behold, <laughs> there's another search engine called Veronica. So people were having fun. Obviously, they're being very, very serious. But the Archie search engine came out of McGill University in, in Montreal. And it was essentially, once again, trying to find things that were out there. Veronica, early 90s, just to bring you up to date, okay, similar to Archie, but had some, I'll use the phrase, classification structures in it. And I'm not here in this, in this episode of our, our broadcast here to go through excruciating detail on these things, but just to give you some idea that this, this stuff has been around trying for quite some time uh, to be you know, sorted out. 
Then we come up to, I'm going to skip some, some things here for just a little bit and bring you up to date to things that you may be more familiar with. And one of them was Excite, E-X-C-I-T-E. And it was initially called Architect or Architect, depending on how you look at it, A-R-C-H-I-T-E-X-T. And that was out of Stanford uh, University that was out there. And that was the first serious commercial engine that was launched in the early 90s, mid-90s, you know, that was there. And it disappeared, unfortunately, uh, in 2001. Um, there was a bankruptcy there, and a company called Infospace bought that. Lots of different reasons, possibly, why that occurred. And that brings us up to Yahoo. Uh, some of you are obviously familiar with that. It's still around. Uh, it has its trials and tribulations, you know, you know, that's there. But one of the big things about Yahoo, ladies and gentlemen, is that it its entries were categorized and classified manually. That's one of the detriments, of course, uh, that Yahoo had. But it was trying to come up with a way to classify things in a logical, unbiased manner. So it was sort of like a searchable table of contents, which is really what the da-da Dewey Decimal System is. And finally, before we take a break, Lycos, which came out of Carnegie Mellon in the mid 90s that was there. And so these search engines, you see the various variations that were going on over the years. We're going to take a search, just a quick break here, and then we're going to talk about this concept of a library and where we see this going in search. Sam Holzman, who's you're listening to, we'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Thanks for listening. Are you stuck in your enterprise architecture practice with nothing but a bunch of static models and deliverables aimed at future technology development efforts rather than true business understanding? With the Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence four-day certification workshops, you will learn proven step-by-step enterprise architecture techniques to be used as the baseline for addressing continuous business and organizational change. For dates, locations, and more, Visit EACOE.org. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, a Methodology of Business Understanding, Technology Planning, and Change, by leading enterprise architect practitioner Sam Holzman, brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com. Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? 
Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holtzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back to The 2020s Enterprise. My name is Sam Holtzman. Today's topic is... In search of a search engine. <laughs> and that topic brings a little chuckle to my voice because it's a bit of a tongue twister. And, and what we're trying to talk about here is how do you and I retrieve good information, good in quotes, unbiased, unbiased in quotes, that provides us with facts and let us make a determination and decision as to what to do with that information. And the concept that we're going to be talking about in this last segment is the concept of a library. And we may have something different here than the concept of search. And I struggle a little bit when I talk about these concepts about what we should actually call this. So I'm going to divide it up for this this particular broadcast by saying there's searching engines and then there's libraries in which we can get information out, parentheses, search. But the library has some things that I believe remove a tremendously high percentage of the bias that is either real or perceived by people out there. The second thing about the library is it's not trying to sell you anything. It's a different thing than a search engine that most of the time nowadays leads you to making a financial or other decision. Let's be honest. It's about wallet share. And so maybe we have to look at something a little bit different. So what is it about a library that I want to bring to your attention? Well, first of all, it's a managed of some kind collection of information stuff. Who's doing that? Hopefully a series of, quote, experts, unquote. Sam, but there could be bias. Yes. (laughs) Here we go again. Let's look back for a moment at that word. Um, I have a book out there on enterprise architecture. I've written it. Is it unbiased? As far as I'm concerned, yes. (laughs) But I wrote it, and I'm telling people I wrote it. If people call me biased, then the book will be biased. So we have to be careful here on how we look at it, which is different than saying, is somebody looking at my book and declaring it to be within a certain segment 
of a, quote, search for whatever reason that's out there. So my book is on enterprise architecture. How is it searched for? How did it come up in certain search engines? Why is it on certain engines? Why is it on page one or two or six or 10? Who decides these things? What's going on there versus a library that would put my book in a certain spot in the library regardless of its, quote, popularity or anything else? This is the concept we're talking about here. Not based on sales. It's not based on anything, but what is the content and can I get at it? That's a library. And that information is made accessible to people for referencing or borrowing or searching and everything else like that. Now, the concept that probably comes to mind to you, of course, is the physical library. But this would be also, quote, an electronic format could work the same way. Now, the other thing we have to recognize is that libraries provide stuff, materials, but also services of the librarian who are possibly experts at finding information on our behalf or with us and organizing that information. Once again, classifying that information. Now, once again, for those of you that are looking at the word bias, can a librarian have bias? Well, of course. You know what the problem is? People. And this is what we've been trying to do with a lot, a lot of organizations have been trying to do with these algorithms. Oh, we're just going to replace uh, people with the algorithms because they're unbiased. Ladies and gentlemen, who's writing the algorithms? <laughs> this is this vicious circle. And this is one of the things that a lot of these search engines are being critiqued on right now. You know, well, um, in order to have a multicultural search engine, you should have multicultural people writing the source code. Well, okay, maybe that's the solution. Maybe it's not a library. I, I wish I could solve all the ills of society by snapping my fingers. But we have to recognize what those biases are. And if we're comfortable with those biases, we use that search engine. So I want to see those biases. I don't like them. But otherwise, I'm going to make assumptions about them. And what I believe the library is trying to do, a library with the concepts of Dewey Decimal Systems, if I can use that phrase, an unbiased classification structure is trying to get away from a lot of that versus a way to organize things based on popularity, uh, you know, that's out there. And so when it comes to organizing the library, the material is arranged in a specific order according to a classification system that you and I and anyone can look at. We know exactly what it is. It's not hidden behind some screens, whether they're political screens or whether they're uh, 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 intellectual property and capital declared screens or whether they're financial screens or anything else like that. It is there to we know exactly how things are organized. I want to be careful again. The individual, the person, or the thing that is putting my information or your information into that classification system, we understand may have a bias. We understand that. And I, I don't know how we can do that without drilling holes in people's head and seeing whether they're honest or not. Of course, that's a little a bit of a problem. So we have at least a high degree of percentage of the potential issues 
addressed because we have a transparent classification system, um, you know, that we're, we're looking at. And the other thing we have is understanding that there's different things going on. There is access to this information in the library. And so that's how you and I interact with that particular library. Uh, how we grab information, how do we take it out from a physical standpoint, uh, and how the information is stored. We have the organization that looks for new information, looking for you know new books or new magazines or, or new whatever it is, videotapes or DVDs or CDs or whatever is going on there. And they're bringing that material in and maintaining that information that's out there. We have within the concept of a library, people that you can go to, interesting, that help you in your queries that are out there. And how to get information out. And of course, that can be divided out into various expertise. Now, this, of course, is a financial issue that a lot of public libraries are facing, is how many human beings can they have? Uh, do you have a specialist in children's book, a specialist in science, a specialist in math, a specialist in, you know, uh, uh, whatever it is? Uh, here we go again, the, you know, the issues that we always have with dollars. We understand all of those that are there. And then there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. In other words, cataloging and processing new, uh, uh, new materials. Um, and sometimes things turn out to be incorrect. And I go back to a famous episode of, of Oprah Winfrey's show uh, where she was promoting this author uh, to a high degree. And, and one of the things about Ms. Winfrey that we all know is the powerful nature of her endorsement. And she endorsed this, this author and unfortunately, a little while later, people found out some pretty nasty things after that. So she deauthorized it. <laughs> said, wait a minute, this isn't good. So even there, with all the vetting, I'm sure, that has gone on within her show during those days, still things slip through the cracks. But as a very you know, noble person, an honest person, she came back to her audience and said, hey, I made a mistake. Here's the situation. This is not what I expected. I was fooled uh, for whatever, you know, things going on there. And so sometimes you have to, quote, decommission some things or make this not accessible because it turns out to be false. And so the next time you go back to that shelf location, so to speak, in the library, that information isn't there. And once again, you may call that censorship. You may call it bias. Uh, you may call it whatever but we do see that there's some interactions going on. I think we can summarize at this point, nothing is going to be perfect, unfortunately, because whether we like it or not, we are all human beings, and we all come with strengths, weaknesses, and, of course, I'm going to now use the term biases. And that term is not just negative, but it's the way that we see the world compared to somebody else. And then the last thing we see in a library is somebody that sort of takes care of things a little bit. And we know that as the library is being used, it sometimes, sometimes gets out of kilter. What I mean by that is, you know, today that information was supposed to be in this particular location and it's not there anymore. 
And we see that, by the way, in a lot of industries. So, for example, in the warehousing industry, uh, you have this concept of forewalling. And forewalling is a very simple uh, concept. It says, okay, uh, I have a warehouse uh, that has snack foods. And in this area, I have potato chips. And a human being comes in and counts the number of bags of potato chips. There's 412 bags of potato chips. He or she looks at the computer program and says, guess what? The computer says there's 390 bags of potato chips. Who's correct, the computer system or the person? The person. So what do we do? We correct the surrogate, and the surrogate is the computer. And that's what we have to recognize. You and I have to recognize. The computer isn't the real thing. The bags of potato chips are. And so it's called forewalling. We straighten out, essentially, the library. We straighten out the information by looking at the comparison of the actual world versus the technical world that is a surrogate, an abstraction, an image of what is actually going on. And the same thing goes on in the world of libraries. And that's one of the things, of course, that we see these search engine organizations working on struggling with trying to make better all the time. And, and we recognize that. We recognize that. And, of course, once we have all of that, there are various usage usages that we can have. And we can see all of those. Now, in the world of libraries, we have some organizations that are trying to address not only the shifting activities going on there, but this concept of purity or correctness, you know, you know, as, as we see it. And it's tough. It's tough. But as we close out this episode, what I want you to think about is this concept of the Dewey Decimal System or the Library of Congress system, a classification system of some kind that you and I could look at any time we want we may not feel comfortable with it. We may not believe it's 100% accurate, but we know exactly what it is. That's fundamental to what you and I need in searching for information on the Internet. The next thing we need is traceability and transparency to what we're seeing in that location of information. Real tough one. And we hear lots of things going on in the technology world. Uh, deep fakes, fake news. I mean, there's so many words out there right now. But with this concept of identity, who provided the information? Who are they? Where are they? Those types of things. It's a lot easier to see in a physical book, ladies and gentlemen. If you go out and take a look at my book, you know who I am and what I am. You may like it or not like it. Uh, <laughs> it's hard for me to hide. Uh, you know, that's out there. And of course, people say, well, there's hidden authors. Here we go again, you know, looking at the fringe element, uh, you know, that's out there. So it's the source of information and the traceability and transparency for its source. And the third item that we have to look at is the, quote, maintenance of that. And that's the function of the librarian, which has a lot of different functions. One is classification of the information going into the library and the ability to take it out again. And then if I can use the phrase, ensuring as much as that individual can, the integrity of the, of the information, meaning 
the information is in the right place. So we're looking for a name for this thing that possibly is going to be different than the word search. It's also going to not look at financial interests. The objective is not purchasing something. The objective is finding information. And perhaps as we move forward in the digital age that you and I are in, we're going to see these two types of things diverge a little bit where we can look at certain types of online activities as searching for information and other online activities searching for purchasing things. Perhaps that's one of the first gateways we're looking at. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Sam Holzman. This is the 2020s Enterprise. Until next time, have a great day. Thank you for tuning in this week to the 2020s Enterprise. Be sure to join your host, Sam Holzman, again for another edition of our program next Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more topics of discussion then. 